Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. Romans chapter 13. I always marvel at the way God works. You know, I plan my sermon six months in advance, and I can't predict the future, never can. So I just pray, okay, God, I'm going to do things the way I see fit. Just push me in the right direction. So isn't it interesting that this week, as we continue to see the way world governments are affecting millions of lives in Ukraine, that we're going to talk about government and how God works through government. So we're going to talk about that today. The good, the bad, and the ugly, and there's plenty of all. And we're going to talk about God's role in that, how he works in spite of us and through us, and even through non-Christians. I, I say that, find myself saying this often, God can do whatever he wants. If you think you've got the rules that God has to follow, well just pay attention because he will ignore you completely. He just does what he sees fit, and the way you think he should do, he doesn't, and the things that you want him to do, he doesn't, and, and he works anyway, and amazingly. He does good things if you just pay attention. Romans chapter 13. As always, we begin with prayer. And still, it's just heartbreaking, isn't it? Probably for the first time in many of our lifetimes, we're seeing what... What a truly evil dictatorship can do to regular folk. We've seen wars and we know that, but this one's different. I'll give you a few moments to pray for the people of Ukraine in that situation. And then pray for our own troubles too. Would you bow with me please? Father, we gather in peace today, thanking you for the way you've worked to bring peace on our part of the world. Thank you. We live in peace. We eat, we sleep in comfort. When it's cold, we turn up the heat. When it's hot, we turn on the air conditioner. We drive, we listen to music, we eat good food. Thank you, Father, we are wealthy. We thank you for these things knowing that in other parts of the world millions of people struggle. We think of those in the Middle East of course and in Ukraine and in so many places in the world. Evil has taken root. We ask Father for your guidance and wisdom there. In Ukraine in particular, in Poland, in Russia, in the nations around the world, we ask for guidance and wisdom. Help us to discern ways in which we can help. Not just help those that are displaced, but to protect those and help those who must fight for life. We pray, Father, for the ability to influence those governments that would destroy life. Russia, Ukraine, Syria, so many of the countries, no one stands out. We ask, Father, work with them. 
for those millions that are currently fleeing for their lives. Give them hope. Father, help us to share willingly what you've given us. There are so many all over the world who have so much. Move within us to share. Help us to do what we can. Help us to recognize that the peace that we share is tenuous and can be taken in a moment. Give us grace that we might give to others. At home, Father, we know that many struggle. Some here face surgery. Others are in the hospital going through difficult treatments. Some seem near loss of life. You know all the details. We can only turn them over to you. We do our best. And yet we know that you are the giver of life. As always, be with our first responders, soldiers, doctors, EMTs, those that serve. Guide and direct them. Comfort their families. Be with the families of the soldiers. Give them comfort and hope. We wish we could say that things are better. And then we watch the news. Things haven't changed. Help us. Father, thank you for the good things that we do have. For this life. For this life of faith. For the life that we have in this great nation. Thank you. Thank you for a faith that teaches us to look long-term, that gives us hope, even in death. Thank you for creating us as people who can love each other and encourage each other. Father, be with us now as we study your word. Help us to learn from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He really didn't intend to be a national figure. Rodney just got up and lived the day. And then he got drunk somewhere along the way and got in his car and started driving as fast as he could. Policemen tried to pull him over. In his drunken stupor, he decided that he could outrun them. Never a good thing. A high-speed chase ensued. Rodney didn't want to stop for all sorts of reasons. He'd already had problems with the law. He knew what it was going to be. L.A. was not a kind place to his kind in those days. When they finally pulled him over, they drug him out of the car and they beat him mercilessly. You remember Rodney King, don't you? The only reason we know about it is that some guy who just happened to be outside with his camera on the balcony of his apartment saw what was going on and he zoomed in and watched it. You've seen the video. It's been a while. Rodney King, you can look it up. You can still watch it. It's, it's pretty hard. And they beat him unconscious. Almost killed him. There was a trial of sorts. The four police officers were not convicted of any crime. Three were acquitted. One they didn't know what to do with, so didn't convict him of anything either. And the ensuing six or eight days was called the L.A. Riots, 1992. You remember the story. 68 died. Hundreds of millions of dollars of damage done. A frustrated people not knowing what else to do. The system seemed to have failed them. 
Somewhere along the way in that seven or eight day period of the LA riots, people wanted to stop the violence, so they got Rodney King, still healing from his multiple surgeries, a scar from his eye to back here where they had to do brain surgery just to save his life. And he got up and he said those famous words, can't we all get along? Unfortunately, the answer is no, we cannot. We want to be hopeful, but it seems like we can't, doesn't it? Something within us, sometimes it's because of color, sometimes it's because of sociology and economics, sometimes we're just in bad moods and alcohol and drug-induced problems, but we can't just get along. Don't you wish God would have done something? Well, amazingly enough, God has done something. We have to remember that God created us to be free. He created us with brains that function well sometimes. He created us with the ability to speak, which is sometimes a good thing, not always. And he created us with this thing called free will. Now, because God knew what free will allows, he knew that there would be problems. So in the mind of God, before anything ever happened, God envisioned something we call government. And that was God's way of helping us live at peace. Not necessarily to get along, but to help in the process. Follow along with me as Paul explains this process. Romans chapter 13, the first 10 verses. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore... He who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom taxes custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So today, when we talk about government, a little bit of warning. I'm going to say some things you don't want to hear. I'm going to say some things that you know are true, but don't care anyway. And I'm going to say some things that are going to make you feel good. And some things are going to make you not feel good. That is the nature of the Word of God. So when we talk about government, remember, Paul was explaining, this is the way of the world. And there is a reason for governments. And God placed them here. So on screen, we can see this first primary idea. We talk about it often anymore. God is sovereign over the affairs of humanity. 
Sovereign means he is absolutely in control. It doesn't mean he makes everything happen. But it means he can work in every situation, both good and bad. And so when I say God is sovereign, I'm not saying God dictates to you what you do and say. I'm saying he can work regardless. When you choose to follow him, he works with you. When you choose to resist him, he works within you. And brings other people to bear and things like that. It's a fancy way of saying that God is in control, that there is this plan for humanity that God has, and that he has the ability to assert control and change history. Now this contrasts the idea of a lot of people that say that God created the world and then walked away. Others say that God created the world and merely watches and blesses sometimes. But that's not the biblical image. The biblical image is that God is heavily involved in our affairs, influencing us, urging us, nudging us, pulling us back and things like that. Daniel explained in the Old Testament, the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. If you think about it, God has used human history and governments to bring about his will in so many cases. Let me give you an example. You remember your Old Testament studies. The northern kingdom Israel, God's people, were living in sin. God said... Straighten up or you're going to be suffering. And what happened? God rose up a people in the Assyrian culture, not too far away, and he brought them down, an Assyrian culture that was pagan and ungodly and violent, and God raised them up and brought judgment on God's people, took them into captivity. Not quite 200 years later, the southern kingdom, Judah, was in the same situation. God said, listen... You don't stop your wicked ways and repent, you're going to suffer the consequences. God had to use judgment sometimes to get people's attention. They resisted, they ignored the prophets, they continued to live in sin, and God said, fine. So God rose up the Babylonian people, another government, another ungodly pagan government, and he brought them down, and they conquered Judah, took the people into captivity, and God used a pagan people to bring judgment Interestingly enough, they did not say, the Assyrian leader and the Babylonian people, did not pray to the God of Israel and say, okay God, we just want to do your will, help us. They did not do that. Their plan was to get rid of Israel, to get rid of Judah, because they controlled the interstates and they wanted that money. They wanted the taxation, they wanted the land, etc., etc. And so they came down thinking they were doing their own thing, but you see, God is sovereign. God has the ability to work through the affairs of man and sometimes he doesn't even tell them I'm using you. He just uses people. That's sovereignty. It's not manipulation. He just uses people doing what people do. And sometimes it's exactly what God wants done. Fast forward a few hundred years from Babylon, a man named Jesus, we call him Messiah and Savior, murdered by government dictate. The legal process found him guilty of treason. Remember? The religious leaders didn't like him. They pulled some strings, bought some judges, manipulated some crowds, and they crucified him. It was all legal. God working through the governments of men to bring about his desires and will for humanity. We don't always understand why God does things the way he does. 
But that's God's sovereignty. We see that working now. Talk about Ukraine. It's been hard to think about much because that's all that's on TV. The images of the children are the hardest to take. I mean, it's one thing to see guys fighting in bodies. That's miserable enough. But when you see images of little girls and little boys just standing there crying in the street because their world is over, it's hard to take. It's hard to see God working at all. And yet, think about this. A month ago, we were worried about this happening. And we didn't know what would happen because we knew that nobody would stand up to Russia because no one wants a world war. And no one would do anything. And we wondered, what's going to happen to Ukraine and to all those people? And what's happened in just the last month? What has happened? The entire civilized world has united to help the Ukrainian people. Now, no one necessarily loved the Ukrainian people any more than anyone else for the last years, centuries actually. But this year, God has used an evil government doing an evil thing to unite people to do things that they never thought possible. Just a few months ago, we knew that we would never have anything in common with all these other people because we're so divided about so many things. And governments all over the world have sacrificed their own financial health to help the Ukrainians. God is sovereign. I don't like the way things happen. There was an interview last night on NPR. Listened to it as I was out in the garage. And it was just a woman, minister in Ukraine. And she was talking about the way God was working to help her people. Now remember, this is a woman whose people were under siege and they were being destroyed and the cities were burning, literally. And they knew that death was coming to so many. And yet they were so happy that God was working in the world community to bring power and peace and to help them. That's sovereignty. So when we talk about God being in control, we're not talking about God yanking strings and making everything happen that's just right. We're talking about a God that just works and plans and makes things happen and works regardless of our sin and failings and foibles and all those kinds of things and does what only God can do. It is always wise and fruitful to pray that God will work. Pray for Ukrainians, of course. Pray for the government of Ukraine, Poland, all those countries around whose lives are in danger. Yes, pray for Putin. Not necessarily for a curse. You know, the imprecatory psalms in the Old Testament were that, where they would pray that God would smite someone and strike him down and, and make his head fall off on all those kinds of things. They prayed those kinds of things. Really wasn't what God was wanting. In the passage we read, love your neighbor, that's the fulfillment of the law. So, it would be appropriate for us, God's people, to pray for a guy named Putin. Is he a scoundrel? Of course he is. Does he deserve to die? Sure. Maybe that's not what God wants though. Maybe God wants a change in his heart. Maybe God wants to use him to end the war. You know, I don't know. You see, it's always appropriate, though, to pray that the God who seems absent, it's appropriate to pray that he is working. Because he might be. He might be doing something we aren't aware of. You just don't know. 
When the northern kingdom fell, they didn't see God working. When the southern kingdom fell, they didn't see God working. Maybe we need to pay attention to what the Bible teaches about the way God works. One of the other things you can see this on screen is that God works through the political processes. Government, and this is hard to believe because of our negative view towards government, but that is one of the realms where God works and does big things. God works in government. God establishes government. Look at this again, if you would. Let every pers person be in his subjection to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Sometimes we think that that means God likes evil rulers, and that's not true. Sometimes we think that God wants evil to happen, and that's not true. It's just that he knows who we are. He knows that we need governments to keep us under control because when there is no government anywhere, even in the most horrible of places, things get worse, if you can imagine that. Governments are essential. It doesn't mean God likes every government. It doesn't mean that God approves of all actions of all governmental leaders. The New Testament has these stories. Remember, Jesus was informed about Herod. He said, Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said, you go tell that fox. In my words, I'm going to do what I want. Jesus recognized that Herod was an evil dictator. And he called him out. Another time... Peter and the apostles got in trouble in Jerusalem. They were preaching Jesus, causing all sorts of problems. So guess what? The government put the squeeze on them. Beat them up a little bit. Threatened imprisonment. Said, all you got to do is shut your mouth and get out of town. Remember the response? We must, must obey God rather than men. So they knew that there was a time when you had to resist government. Government isn't always good. Government isn't always spiritual. What a government wants isn't always the right thing. You must be discerning. At the same time, he calls us to be obedient. Think about this. I think we live in one of the greatest nations in human history. We got our flaws, obviously. We're having some problems right now because we've decided to listen to Facebook instead of our brains. And I don't understand that, but you know, we've got some problems. We're having trouble getting along, etc. But one of the greatest places, that's why people still want to come here. We were birthed as a nation because in England and in Europe, oppressive governments were squeezing good people. So what did they do? They scrounged up all their money and they got on a boat and went to the Americas to get something different. And flaws and all, they formed what I still think is one of the greatest nations on the planet. God working. You see, God's sovereign. It doesn't mean that the European governments at the time were doing good things. They weren't. But God was working in them anyway. God works through those situations. So recognize the fact that governments are evil. Recognize that they're flawed people. Recognize that we must resist sometimes. But also recognize that God works through governments. One of the things that Paul wanted the Roman Christians to understand is that there is a practical aspect we have to consider. Governments are. And they are powerful. 
and they do affect our lives and they can control our behavior and they can look at our mail and they can know all about us and we're going through that now and that's just the nature of governments on this earth they have always been powerful they can always assert control over us they can always mess with our business and that's not going to change on this earth it doesn't mean necessarily though that all is lost so Paul said in spite of the fact that there are governments like this and, and everybody knew that the government was oppressive in the Roman culture because the Roman culture was everywhere the Roman soldiers were literally everywhere and they were in everybody's business and, and unless you were wealthy you were paying 80% tax rates and it was miserable in so many ways for so many people and so there was a mood of rebellion throughout the empire and Christians in particular wanted to overthrow well Christians couldn't do it they didn't have the power so Paul was saying, all right, guys, and one of the ways that we can sum up this passage is cool your jets. This is just this life. You can rebel and die, or you can make the best of it, and you can trust God to work, and you can pray. And then, look at verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. You can just love people and go on about your business. You see, he was trying to stop Christians from rebelling and getting murdered and slaughtered because they would have. So he's saying some, there's some harsh realities you've got to deal with. And sometimes I think we have to do that. As people on this planet, there will always be governments. They will always have power over us. They will always have our bank accounts, our secrets, and, and all those kinds of things. And you can't stop that. So don't let that be your focus. Instead, live out your faith. So he tells us how to do this. So on screen are some things we can do. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So first of all, Paul is saying to the Christians who want to fight the government, he said, listen, the government needs to be able to trust you. They need to see you not as a political threat, but as a group of people who just want to be left alone and live out their faith and be good citizens. So to Christians in those cultures and here, he's saying, listen, just live your life. Follow the laws, like them or not. And the only time that it's really acceptable for Christians to purposely break the law is when the law causes you to go against your faith. Like Peter and the apostles said, we would rather follow God than men. So that's the test. Does driving 55 or slower, does that cause you to violate your faith? Not unless you cuss at government when you drive 55, right? You know, you don't have to do that. Does following the law, paying your taxes, make you angry? Maybe. But it's not necessarily something that you can justify with your faith by not paying and things like that. So do what you can. Live within the law. Work within the law. Use the system to stand for yourself. If you find that the law forces you to violate your faith and conscience, then there's a point there. And that's where you have to make a decision to break that. And maybe suffer the consequences. And by the way, God uses people who suffer the consequences. 
when they do it for faith. If you're just being loudmouthed and stupid, there's no honor there. But if people suffer because of their faith, God can use that. Another thing, look at verses 5 and 6. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you pay taxes, rulers are servants of God, and devoting themselves to this very thing. So in other words, follow the law. You can do it just because you're afraid of the consequences. That's one thing, sure. But it's better if you follow the law as an act of faith. So, when the government says, do this or don't do that, out of faith, just follow the law. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. You know, the Bible never says, follow the law if it suits you, does it? It says, as an act of faith, follow the law as much as it is within you. Doesn't matter whether you like it. Now, if it's forcing you to violate a conviction, yes. But if it's just a law you don't like, suck it up. Be an adult about it. Things like that. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, we look at so many things that are a cause for concern in our culture. Sometimes if people would just follow the law, it would take care of so many problems. One other thing. Be an influencer for goodness. Look at verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. This is where you are called as Christians to be a good citizen, and yes, an active citizen, and yes, get involved in the process, and yes, write letters to the editor, and speak out against injustices, and fight for justice, and all those good things that Christians should be standing up for. When a people are treated unjustly, Christians ought to be right there in their business helping them. When the government's doing wrong, we need to stand up and speak truth to power. That's right. When the government does something right, we need to stand up and say we agree with that. Whether or not the party in charge is your party or not is irrelevant. And that's an, another thing that, you know, in this culture we've decided that there are only two ways to look at the world, this way or that way, and there is nothing more ungodly than being forced to choose that because so many issues have a middle ground or there are nuances. So what you have to do as Christian is, guess what? Use the brain God gave you and think. Do not allow social media or our political system to force you to support that which is evil or to stand against that which is good. Christians need to be able to count it on, be counted on, not necessarily by a political leadership, but by those who stand for good. Sometimes that will be the Democrat position. Hate to admit it. Sometimes it will be the Republican commission position, and you're going to have to admit that too. Sometimes those on the right are just wrong. And sometimes those on the left are just wrong. And Christians need to be faithful enough to recognize that and call that out. It's hard though. You have to get involved. I've been surprised my daughter's gotten involved in a ministry to the Afghans and I know I'm running along here and they're just helping some of the Afghan people that have been brought over. Interestingly enough, these are Afghanis that were helping us in Afghanistan. They were our friends. So we've rescued them, we brought them over here and so she goes to a large church and people are angry at her and she has lost friends because she's helping those Muslim people. Now, my daughter is a radical. 
She thinks that she just needs to love them because that's what Jesus says to do. She's so naive. Seriously. They have lost friends. There have been entire classes of people who will no longer talk to her because she's helping those people. This is in church. All she's doing is loving them. She gives them food. She helped one of them celebrate his first birthday in America. Her husband is teaching a 19-year-old Afghani how to drive, took his driver's test Friday and passed, and trying to help some others get jobs and those kinds of things. Not doing radical stuff. She's just doing what verse 10 says, love people, because that's the fulfillment of the law. And good Christian folk will no longer speak to her. I get it. And it's tragic, isn't it, that Christians follow politics instead of Jesus. We understand fears and biases and prejudices and all that stuff. We need to rise above that stuff, guys. On screen is one more passage. Read this with me if you would. The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. We often think that this means don't be sexually careless. Lust. Lust means lust for power. Lust for freedom. Lust for independence. Lust for political influence. Anything that pulls you away from God's leadership is lust. It's just an overwhelming desire. And Christians, we've got to follow Jesus. Relate to the government as Christian. Test your political beliefs against Jesus. Test your ways against Jesus. Before you hit send, when you post something wise and profound on Facebook, test it. Does this honor Christ? Does this accurately reflect my faith? Does this encourage other Christians? Does it encourage people to follow Jesus? That's the test. The test isn't, will this really get those people? Or will it really make people mad? That's not it, guys. We must rise above that and be Christian first. Jesus wanted to remind us each time that we got together that we're Christian. We're not just nice people who go to church. We're Christian. We follow Jesus, resurrected Lord. So he said, when you get together, take this meal and let it remind you of something. And the meal was just a meal. He said, when you eat bread, let it remind you of my flesh. When you drink wine, let it remind you of my blood. The cost of your salvation was profound. Don't forget who you are. So today we're going to share this meal, communion. And it's an invitation. It's proclamation. We follow Jesus, resurrected Lord, crucified on the cross, buried, raised on the third day. Salvation. It's invitation. If you don't know Jesus, we hope you will. Follow him and join us. So today, we have this meal. If you're already a Christian, wonderful. Celebrate with us. If you're not a Christian, we invite you. Come and follow Jesus with us. Take the meal if you'd like. But it's meant to encourage you in the faith. I'm going to ask that the deacons come and get in their place now. We're still doing this in the post-pandemic way. So... After we have a prayer, you're going to come forward and get your cup.
and you're going to mess with the little layers and go back to your seat and then we'll have the meal together. If you know someone that can't walk forward, get one for them. Watch around if someone's struggling with the wrappers. I know it's hard. Don't cuss, just help them. Okay, I know, I know. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We have everything. Use this meal to nurture us in our faith, to remind us of who we are and who you are. Help us to be your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you come forward and get the meal, please? So Paul tells us a story. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Paul tells, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul explains, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're not Christians because we're nice people. We're Christians because we follow the crucified and resurrected Lord. And that's the reason for all of this stuff. Our deacon is going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of prayer in just a moment. Nate's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. The invitation is just a simple time for you to respond to the gospel. If you want to receive Jesus as Savior, been thinking about it, or want to find out more about it, you can come forward and talk to me. If there is a decision you're making or want to make in some other way, you can come up forward. Would you stand with me as Nate leads us? Yeah.